I was wondering. I know you were. You can go through that if you're very vertically challenged. All right. How are we all doing this morning? I was thinking about this as I was listening to uh, all those VBS songs. It's just such a joy-filled event, VBS and all of this. And I'm like, wow, that's so great. We're just going to be just on this high of joy and everything. Then we're going to get right into the tribulation period this morning. <laughs> so let's turn our Bibles over to the book of Revelation. We are in chapter 6. If you are uh, visiting us new around here online, you have uh, woke up in the same world that we all have woke up to today. And a very interesting world, a very troubled world. A world that God is very aware of, and God is very much in control of. But in our makeup, in our, our humanness, um, there's these times that we have where we just, we, we've all gone through it on a small scale. We're like, something's just not right. We don't have all the facts. It's kind of a gut feeling. It can even be like a sinking feeling. And you're like, just not sure. And I've, I've realized that in talking to Christians around the nation and other, my peers and whatnot, that that, that, that is happening on a, on a level with people. Like globally, I know nationally, as I'm talking to other Christians in America and other people in America, there's this growing sense that something is not right with the world. And part of that is we don't know all the facts. We don't know all of what's going on in the realm of darkness, deception, corruption, globally. We don't, we don't know. I remember years ago I was invited to go with some pastors and speak in, in Cuba at a, a conference. And so we all went. We were all excited. And it was, it was a pretty intense thing to even get visas to get in and we had these guys following us everywhere. Every time we called home, someone else was on the phone, all that stuff. And I remember about halfway through the week, we, we all started talking, and we just felt like, man, something is just not right. And it wasn't just in Cuba. We, as pastors, were talking and comparing convictions that we had about America. It was interesting. Like, something's not right. <clears throat> and we knew that war was in the air with Iraq. And then I remember one of the, the local pastors came and said, hey, I was watching this news thing we're allowed to watch, and, and you guys, there's something really serious going on, and they want all Americans to know to get out of certain countries. And we're like, okay, can you give us the list? Cuba was like third on the list. So the more fact we learned, the more this feeling was validated. And then... The, 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 the plane was canceled. They took our passports, and God worked all of that out. We're here today because God worked all of that out. But we had that sinking feeling until we were informed by people that knew the facts. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. It doesn't matter if you know God or you don't know God. You're waking up in this world, and you know it's broken. There's like 15 Christians that agree with me in this room, so I know I'm on track. <laughs> the world's broken, and we're not surprised. But this, this book, this book of Revelation 1 
Verse 3, blessed is he who reads, who hears, and then keeps the thing, things that are written in it, for the time is near. So we begin to read it, and we begin to be informed about facts. God's view on the future of the world, the end. And if you are like me, where you're sensing and believing, your theology kind of lines you up with the conviction that we are nearing the end, we have less of a sinking feeling when we begin to understand what God, who created me and created you and created this planet, has to say about the end for this planet. It brings hope. It brings direction to the heart of those who read and hear and understand and apply it. In chapters 4 and 5, again, we came to the throne room of God and um, the Father had the title deed of the earth. The Son was the one that was worthy to open that up. Only one person in heaven was found worthy, and it was Jesus standing as a lamb that had been slain. Only through him and his redemptive plan or his ability to redeem back the earth could the process begin to take control of the world from evil forever vanquished. Van, van, vanishing and vanquishing is the word I was thinking about. Sin and death. But the steps for preparing the world for his kingdom on earth and, and restoring the earth back to its rightful state, the new heavens, the new earth, and all of that that's yet to come, it would involve a process of time where there would be unparalleled judgment on the earth. And we are now opening up that section of the book of Revelation where we will study that. Chapters 6 through 19, the tribulation. We all experience um, unexpected disruptions in our personal world. How many of you lost your keys before? And it's just, you're like, I can't believe that happened. I have on Saturday night been finishing and polishing up my thoughts that I've been working on for a week. Push the wrong button. There's really weird thoughts that go through your head when you do that as a pastor. Like, what happened? That is a major disruption. I could go through it, the flat tires that we have, just the things, the phone call from a school when you're raising your kids and all you're at work and it's the disruptions that are somewhat not real important but enough to make your day and your week change. And then we have these disruptions. We just watched this grief share video where a phone call comes in. The dreaded phone call in the middle of the night. And it changes the course of your life. A hospital visit. The doctor has a different look, drops his glasses, come into a different room, and says something that changes the course of your life. We're all familiar with life, life that has disruptions. But what we're about to study is unparalleled. What the human beings living on planet Earth will experience during the tribulation period, a whole other level of disrupting not just their life, but the globe. For most people, God's end time judgment 
will be unexpected and unwelcomed. Jesus described this time of judgment in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, as the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth. Speaking of this time of judgment on the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, 21, he's like, pray that your flight may not be in the winter on the Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world. Or even until this day, he says to his disciples, nor, no, nor shall ever be. Paul talks about this time in 1 Thessalonians 1 through 6. And he's like, it's a time when they're saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them, the world, during this tribulation period, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But to the believers, like, guys, you know this, and you're not in darkness, so that the day should overtake you as a thief. Now, when we come to these passages of Scripture where we're talking about, like, radical judgments, even when we come to the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah or the story of, of Noah and his family, God judging the earth, we, we, we pause and we, we scratch our heads. There are some people who... They form their view of God based on their feelings, based on how they believe God should be, rather than looking at the entirety of Scripture and saying, well, what does he say about himself? <laughs> how should I understand him based on his word? How has he described himself? What is his nature? And so consequently, we come to these passages in Scripture that deal with his judgment, and people are like, well, I just don't believe God will do that. And they, they, they're like, well, a loving God would never judge the world that way. And they, they somehow give themselves the right to alter the character of God. As we study the final judgment of God, it will and should challenge our understanding of God's nature, but it shouldn't change it. That's important. In studying God's judgment, we discover that his wrath works hand in hand with every other attribute defining his nature, his love, his grace, his mercy. And that ultimately, final redemption and restoration of the world is brought as a result of this judgment. He's judging something that is worthy of judgment. Revelation gives us a very balanced understanding of God. Again, we all want the world fixed. We vote for leaders that we feel have the best ability to fix things, and rightfully so. We should prayerfully be doing that. But whoever that is that tries to put the world back together, it, it just does not work out. Have you noticed that? We all have our favorite presidents in history, but if they were the sole answer, we would be still living in this amazing put-together world that they put together. But that's not the case. The Bible teaches us that as the end approaches, war will increase, crime will increase, lawlessness will increase. 
There will be economic upheavals. There will be unprecedented natural disasters, earthquakes, floods, and famines, and diseases, and such. And all of these things, as, Paul, or as Jesus talks about it in his sermon on the, or his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, are, are they're kind of, they're calamities that are kind of moving towards a climax. What is approaching? What are most people feeling? This is what we're studying. We're going to get the answers. In the book of Revelation, three sets of symbols are, 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 are representing three distinct series of future judgments. For you note takers, we're going to have the seven seals, which we talked about, the title deed to the earth. The title deed has seven seals. Jesus will open those seals. We'll have the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. Each symbol, a seal, a trumpet, a bowl, describes seven unique events that will take place. So we're going to look at 21 unique judgments that God will produce. It begins in heaven, and it's fulfilled on earth during the tribulation period. Um, the seal judgments, which we will start with today, begin at the early part of the tribulation period. The trumpet judgments, most believe, are kind of in the middle of the tribulation period. The bowl judgments, the most severe judgments towards the latter part of the tribulation period. Tribulation period is seven-year period. Tribulation is also called the time of trouble in Daniel chapter 12. It's the, called the time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Alas, for that day is great, and there is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress, or Jacob's trouble. Isaiah 34, uh, verses 1 through 4, we are given a description of the Gentile nations that suffer during the tribulation period. Draw near, O nations, to hear. Let the earth and all it contains here, for the Lord's indignation is against all the nations, and his wrath against all the armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. So their slain will be thrown out, and their corpses will be given uh, off their stench, and the mountains will be drenched with their blood, and all the host of heaven will um, wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll, and all their host will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine, or as one withers from the fig tree. The tribulation period. Also spoken about in the book of Joel, Amos, Zephaniah. We noted again, Jesus taught about it during the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 24 and 25, calling it the worst period in human history. Paul discusses it, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2 Thessalonians um, chapter 1 and 2. I was given an assignment, um, and I'll be gone a couple of days next week. Pray for me. It's a real fast thing to Costa Rica to speak at a pastor's conference. And I'm like, great. Uh, what's my title? And they said, well, we're going to be doing, you know, 2 Thessalonians, and we want you to talk about the rapture. We want you to talk about the tribulation, and we want you to talk about the Antichrist with a translator in 45 minutes. <laughs> I'm going. Pray the Lord raptures me on the way, but I'm going. <laughs> we'll see what God does. We begin with the seal judgments. 
as we enter into the seal judgments, we're going to see a pattern. Christ breaks the seal. One of these four living creatures cries out. And then this colored horse and a rider leaps into the scene. I think we got a, a graphic up here of these four apocalyptic riders that uh, I sent them. I think they put it up there. Yeah, it's kind of the idea of where we're going. It doesn't really, yeah, it kind of blends in with the scene. So here we go. We won't show that to the kids tomorrow, okay? So, First seal. Now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come, come and see. John, check this out. And I looked and beheld a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Jesus peels back that first seal. One of the living creatures is like, check it out, John. And then he, he looks and he sees this very interesting figure, a rider on a, a, a white horse with a bow, as we just read, and a crown. Now, it almost sounds, a white horse, crown, coming to conquer, it almost sounds like the second coming of Christ. And if you weren't familiar with the, the book of Revelation, you might even be like thinking that right now, but we know that the second coming of Jesus Christ will be in chapter 19. And so this is not the second coming of Jesus Christ. So who is this person sitting on a white horse? Jesus comes back on a white horse, and these scholars have, have helped us understand that that's an imitation. This is an imitator, a copycat conqueror. He will be an imposter or imitator of Jesus Christ. He is on a mission to deceive people into thinking that he's the Messiah. Jesus said, in reference to the tribulation period, Matthew 24, 4 and 5, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Now there's a bow, but no arrows. And that indicates that he's going to be conquering through peace. He's going to establish some sort of authority over the world through peace. It's a picture of one beginning a conquest on earth through peace. Now again, we read that passage. Paul describes the same general condition when he's talking about the same time period in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 3, while they are saying peace and safety, then these certain events begin to unfold. Then sudden destruction will come upon the earth like labor pains. He has a crown. The Greek word for crown here is um, stephanos. It's the victor's wreath. It's, it's a man-made wreath that is perishable. It fades away. That's what John saw. It speaks of temporary victory. But Jesus, when he comes, he'll, be, he'll have a crown as well, but it's a diadem. It's a permanent crown because what he comes to establish will be forever and ever. It will be permanent. So the tribulation period will begin with deceptive peace through this person, and this person is none other than the Antichrist. He will come as a peacemaker, and the entire world will buy into it. A survey of the book of Daniel, chapter 2, 
well, specifically chapter 2, 7, and 8, shows us that the Antichrist will rise to power, that he will be supported by a 10-nation federation that will basically be made up out of Europe, European nations. They will assist him with his one-world peace plan. They will assist him militarily and politically and monetarily and whatnot. He will be very appealing, we learn through those passages. He'll be very much wanted, very much accepted by the whole world, especially by the Jews who will see him as their Messiah. And they'll, they'll believe that the first three and a half years through the tribulation period. I don't want to segue too much about the Antichrist's role because we'll get more into that in future chapters. But they will really buy into him being their Messiah. Daniel chapter 9 makes it very clear that he will come and, and make a covenant and reestablish their daily sacrifices for them. And, and, and that means that the third temple will have to be built. That's more than I want to get into right now. But all that has to happen. And, and then he will walk into that temple halfway through the tribulation period and tell everybody, I am God, worship me as God. And the, the, the nation of Israel will wake up and realize that they've put their faith in someone that is, well, that was wrong. Today, as we do travel through uh, Israel, the, the many times we've been there, we talk to, I talk to as many um, Israeli people that speak English as I can. My Hebrew is not good. I know about 10 words, that's it. Enough to order food and get me home. But <clears throat> as I've talked to some of them, I'm fascinated with their fascination for the Messiah. Many of them are, are eager that the Messiah is coming. If you haven't heard us talk about this, in Jerusalem, we just got back. We were there just a few weeks ago. We take everybody to the Temple Institute. It's a very zealous group that has raised millions of dollars to build and generate everything that will ever be needed in the third temple. All they need is the temple. So they're ready. They're anticipating it. I have met young men who have traveled from the United States that are part of the line of Kohan. They have been trained how to serve in that third temple. They have been given their temple garments. I've talked to them about that. Um, I can get more into the facts supporting the idea that we are there. We are at the, the stage is completely set. And these are good things for Christians to be nodding our head at and going, yeah, I, I, I can see God's plan. This is part of, we're reading God's plan. We're opening up his revealing of the future. And the Antichrist is part of this. And he's got he's to surface just as the Bible says that he will surface. Where, the, the when part we're not going to get into, but the where and the how and the what he will do, he will be every part of that. We don't need to be blind to that. We need to be open to that and understand that. It's a telltale. Birth pains are intensifying. So, the first of the four horsemen speaks of the Antichrist who will come on the scene at the beginning of the tribulation period, an imposter of peace. He will bring in a false religion and a false peace. But as the next seals are opened, there will be anything but peace. War, famine, widespread death will follow. One thing to remember, church, 
because we won't get back to the Antichrist topic for a few weeks, but we'll get there. The Antichrist will not come on the scene until the church is taken out of this place. Okay, I don't have time to read all of that, but 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 8. Now, there's a lot. I don't want to segue too much here because i got a lot to get through. But there could be an argument made that he's alive and on the earth. He's just not come to power. He's not going to be allowed to come to power until that which is restraining that part of God's plan is removed. That's what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, 6 through 8. And that is what we believe is the church. Okay? So as we move through this chapter, I want you to keep in mind some words of Jesus as he spoke to his disciples about the end of the age, because that's the question that set up his sermon there in Matthew 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse. You know, when will these things happen? Jesus, of course, had predicted the destruction of the temple as they were standing on the Mount of Olives, and they're like, well, when's that going to happen? When will um, the, the signs surrounding your coming and the end of the age? Tell us about this. And he did say, many will come in my name, saying they are the Christ, deceiving many. First horse. There'll be wars and rumors of wars as we get to the second horse. There will be famines. We'll get to the third horse, famines. There'll be earthquakes and pestilence. Fourth horse. The second seal. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. So throughout scripture, the color red is associated with um, terror and death. Um, we're going to learn about the red dragon in Revelation 12, the red beast, Revelation 17. It's a picture of wanted bloodshed here. Rather than having, you know, a bow with no arrows, you know, an arrowless bow, this dreadful rider is wielding a sword. The color red represents blood, and the sword represents war. So this rider, this is speaking about a time where this rider is given power to take peace from the earth. So much that people would be killing one another a graphic picture of war. Major wars will mark the tribulation. The Antichrist global peace plan will be short-lived. Whatever peace he initially establishes will come to a crushing halt. Remember again, Paul says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes. Now, war has always been with us in the last 3,400 years, 3,500 years of recorded history. 268 years of those recorded events or, or years of history of mankind have been no war. Only 8% of man's history has been without war. Today, one in three live in lands where there is some sort of armed conflict, not to mention drug wars and gang wars involving just billions of people today. 
It doesn't matter how much we rally for peace, we have wars. We will have no peace, lasting peace, real global peace, until the Prince of Peace comes down here and establishes his kingdom. And his name is Jesus. So if coming events cast their shadows before them, as the old proverb says, then the world is in for quite a season of war like it's never seen before. It's going to get worse. It's going to intensify during the tribulation period. Nation will rise against nation, as Jesus said. Kingdom against kingdom. Greater frequency. The third seal. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked and beheld a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil or the wine. So Jesus breaks the third seal. We have a black horse gallop into the scene. He's holding scales. And the scales are associated to the food supply on the earth. What is this? It's a picture. It's a symbol. It's a, a foretelling of the famine and the poverty that is going to grip the world during the tribulation period. And many, many argue, and rightfully so, that it's a result of all of these major wars that will break out around the world. It's picturing a period of time that will be characterized by economic inflation and starvation. Following the season of, of wars, you can go and study what happens. Look at what's going on in Ukraine right now. You can be sure that the world's food source will be radically affected. To eat bread by weight, that's kind of a, a, a Jewish phrase indicating that food is going to be scarce. And warfare does make food scarce. What would happen to our food supply if there were nuclear bombs being used in wars? Anybody hear about that at all in the last, uh, I don't know, 10 days? After the, the meltdown of Chernobyl, it says that cows were affected. The milk supply was affected all through Europe. Amazing. All our world relief agencies would not have the solution. A measure of wheat was about a, a quart, and a penny was about a day's wages for a worker. The prices listed here are about 16 times the average prices in the Roman Empire at that time. In other words, food will be so scarce, you just won't be able to afford it. And then it says, do not harm the oil and the wine. That's kind of an interesting thing. There's all kinds of conjecture on that. But um, maybe one possible meaning is those suffering from the famine will only be able to buy limited food quantities for their family. And they're not going to be able to afford the niceties, if you will, which oil and wine picture in Scripture. Um, another view is that um, oil and wine are commodities uh, from, from Israel, and the Antichrist will have made a covenant with the nation of Israel. So maybe they're not going to be as affected. Uh, whatever it is, we don't know. I'm not going to be here to find out. 
if you are, you can tell me when you repent during the tribulation and get to heaven, <laughs> how it all worked out, but no, I'm not going to be around. Um, fourth seal. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come up and see again. So I looked to behold now a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed with him and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword. How? With hunger, death, and by the beasts of the earth. Pale horse. In the Greek, that, that word, it's um, chloros. And it, it, um, it's like a yellowish green, kind of sickly colored, speaking of illness and death. Death slays the body while Hades, of course, swallows up the soul. Over a fourth of the earth. The methods, the sword, violence and war, famine, death, disease, accompanying, following war and famine, and then beasts. Nature takes over when civilization falls apart, even while beasts will be hungry and attack humans during that time, is the idea. One quarter of the world's population will be lost in this rampage. Considering the, the global numbers today, eight billion, I understand, we just crossed. You're talking two billion people. A quarter of the, the world's population will lose their life in the first part of the tribulation period. Fifth seal. Verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they, they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, were completed. So as Jesus opens this fifth seal, hey, check this out, John. He's <clears throat> no longer focused on earth. It's not an event happening on earth. It's now a focus on heaven, what's happening in heaven. And as he looks towards the throne, he sees a host of Christian martyrs crying out to God to avenge them for the unjust treatment that has come upon them. Believers who had experienced unjust treatment to the point of death on earth, now in heaven, beneath the throne, crying out to God that he would avenge them. Tribulation martyrs, people who were converted during the tribulation period and chose to worship and follow Jesus Christ rather than worship and follow the Antichrist who will demand worship as we will see in chapter 13. You know, many have sacrificed their lives for many different causes, for, for country, for government, for democracy, for communism, whatever, whatever they believe, they've just sacrificed their life. But these tribulation saints will sacrifice their life for the cause of Christ. 
we know as we'll get into the latter mid part of the book of Revelation, a little bit more the tribulation, that no one is going to be able to buy or sell, come and go without taking the mark of the beast, the 666. And we'll get into all kinds of interesting um, modern day technology that when we get to that passage that could be like, oh yeah, we're there. Um, I don't believe we are. There is the mark available right now. The Antichrist will be making that available. So don't be like, hey, you know, I, 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 I took this vaccine and they're telling me the mark of the beast might be in that. Or, hey, I got a tattoo and I didn't know they put three sixes on my hand. You can get in all this weird stuff. Listen, just chill out on that stuff. All right? Are you a believer? Yeah. All right. Follow Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry what's going on relating to the Antichrist, okay? Just keep your eyes on him. When someone comes to power and ties whatever kind of sign on the right hand or on the forehead to your traveling, to your being a citizen, to you buying and selling, if you're still on the earth at that time, and I'm still on the earth at that time, my theology's wrong. You following me? Your theology's wrong. We're mid-tribbers now. You follow me? <laughs> Don't get mad at me. Get mad at Pastor Chuck. He's the one that influenced me. He's already in heaven. Take it up with him. I could play that back halfway through. I, I told you. No. But just relax on that, all right? I don't believe there is the mark of the beast on the earth right now to take. There's not the Antichrist, you know, pushing that on people. So just chill out on any of that weird stuff. He's looking forward. He's looking futuristically. He's in the eternal realm, and he's looking at events that are going to take place, events that have yet to take place. There will be, when the church gets raptured, hear me, you who have prodigal sons and daughters. They might wake up at a time you don't want them to, but they'll wake up. They just will. And they'll stand for Jesus, some of them. They won't take the mark. They'll stand for Jesus. There might be people in this church today, people that are listening online, that minimized and minimize the warnings of God in Scripture. And it might, by the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the love of God, take a greater wake-up call. And by the mercy of God, he'll still be saving people during the trip. And some will lose their life. And where are they? They're right next to the one that redeemed him. They've been given some white robes. I don't have time to get into all of that, but they're crying out. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. They got voices. They're in their glorified bodies, I believe. You don't robe some spirit thing. They're flying around these little robes. I believe, you know, they're there. Glorified body, here's a robe. And the robe, listen, hear me. It signifies worthiness through Scripture. We'll get to chapter 7, and it'll talk about these guys again. And their worthiness is due to what Jesus, they were found worthy because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for them. No one will be in heaven because of their own personal work. We'll all be there because of the work of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Okay? And there's nothing like being in heaven saying, hey, Jesus. And he hears them. How many of you have called out, cried out to God because of an unjust cause? He hears you. And what's the Bible say in Romans? Vengeance is mine, God says. If you're crying out to God, leave it with God. Okay? He's going to do so much of a better job with the injustices that have been imposed upon our life and the people behind those injustices than we ever could. God is a God of justice, a God of holiness, a God of truth, and he keeps his promises with those whom he saved. And retribution against his enemies, which are our enemies that oppose us. He's got it. The sixth seal. Verse 12, I looked, when I opened the sixth seal, behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black and sackcloth of hair, as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, <clears throat> and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its fig leaves when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. There's a lot of commentators, a lot of scholars who look at this and like, what? What could that be? More modern-day scholars are like, it sounds atomic, like atomic warfare with the sun and moon blocked or blacked out, great land masses being moved People hiding in holes in the ground to escape. Escape what? Maybe radiation. And the kings of the earth, verse 15, and great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid in the mountains and the rocks. What were they saying? Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of His wrath has come. And here's the question, the cry. Who is able to stand? It's just a frightful scene. The complete and utter panic of the entire globe. Every kind of person, world leaders, People of great influence, rich, poor, elite, common, all crying out in dread, hiding themselves kind of like hunted animals in the, the, the cracks and the crevices of the, of the earth. It's, it's interesting as you read this slowly and as I try to methodically emphasizing and influctuating certain words, how the world will realize Jesus the one who sits on the throne is in this. But rather than turning to him, to his love, to his forgiveness, to his acceptance, to his grace, to his mercy, to his salvation, they will turn from him, hide from him. As difficult as it is 
to get our minds wrapped around all of this judgment. We must remember that God is absolutely just, absolutely fair in all of his judgment as he punishes evil, as he deals with the Christ-rejecting. The Bible makes it very clear that there are consequences to sin. You can doubt that, you can question that, but you are experiencing it. The wages of sin is death. Anybody dying here? You're like, oh, come on, Lance. Do I got to really admit to that? You know what I entitled this sermon? The beginning of the end. You know, the moment you were born, shall I finish that statement? It's the beginning of the end. Let me rephrase the statement. Is anybody here not dying? Oh, the wages of sin is? Oh, okay. So we're, we're in agreement. You could take that up with Adam and Eve. You could take that up with God. We could take that up with whatever in heaven. But the Bible makes it very clear. I don't like death. I'm trying to do everything to not die. I'm trying to extend my years. Lori is too with eat this. Lance, not that. <laughs> Anybody married to one of those? I love it. That's why it looks so good. But it's, it's the obvious. We don't, we don't question God's fairness. We don't question God's just, justice in that. It, it just, it is what it is. These are governing laws that are part of our life. We don't get a hall pass on that. God is absolutely just and absolutely fair in allowing the effects of sin to meet out, to happen on human beings, just like he warned Adam and Eve about. A holy, righteous God can say, don't do this, or this is going to happen. He has a, he's our creator. He has the right to do it. Amen? Are you okay? You, can we, he's the pot. We're, we're the potter. He's the clay. You guys with me? All right. He has the right to do that. You might not like it. I don't like the effects of sin. But the wages of sin is death. So there's every right to let the consequences of the fall play out, just like he said there would be consequences to the fall. And that evil, what sin produces throughout the world, is going to crease and abound in intensity towards the end. And in order for him, the one who took the title deed back, John's looking into the future, the rightful creator, the rightful savior, the rightful king, to take the title deed back. He took it back. That's why John stopped crying. Because he's going to deal with all of the evil. He's going to deal with every aspect of the fall. Sin, the consequences of sin, separation from him, evil, death. He's going to deal with it all. He's not going to force everyone to concede and follow. That's robotic. That's not love. He's given them a choice. And he's written clearly in his word that choice, that plan. You can accept it or deny it. But the nature of God is unchanging. He is loving. 
He is gracious. He is merciful. He is just. Sin has consequences. Wickedness and evil deserves to be judged. We also need to remember that most of the judgments in Revelation, as we like, like, wow, these are really big judgments, the biggest the world has ever seen, the biggest mankind has ever seen, they come through the work of evil agents, the result of the fall, but then they're meted out by evil agents. God allows evil in the world, but he is not the author of it. As one commentator put it, God is sovereign. In other words, he oversees all things in accordance with his will. But he is not the source, the cause of sin or evil. He is not blameworthy when it comes to sin and evil or the consequences they produce in people's lives or within the world, end quote. We also need to acknowledge his grace and mercy in this period of judgment. Speaking of these events unfolding during the tribulation period, Jesus said in Mark 13, 20, unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Even when the Christ-rejecting, shaking their fist at, at God people, are facing judgment, God tempers his wrath and demonstrates mercy by imposing a limit on that time period. This may not seem real significant, but if God does not impose that time limit, everyone in the world would perish. So it shows the mercy of God. And Notice that each of these judgments grows with severity. God would be justified in bringing the earth to an end in just a, a flash, but he doesn't do it that way. He mercifully allows numerous opportunities for repentance, even to persistent, wicked people as they are rejecting him. Interesting. 2 Peter 3.9, God is long-suffering towards us. How many of you are grateful that God's long-suffering towards you? <laughs> Not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So he's always just. He's always good. He's always gracious. He's always loving. He's always merciful. He's always patient. God patiently held back the judgment, global judgment upon the whole earth in the days of Noah for 120 years. 120 years. He is patiently, actively holding back the most extreme judgment that will ever come upon the earth right now. But the dam of his gracious, patient restraint will one day be broken and disaster will pour forth on this earth like never before. Being patient with punishment is an act of love. We can understand this as we're parenting our children. When the girls were younger, Lori and I, we would lay down the ground rules. Both of us would sit down at different stages, at different ages, and there'd be certain things we both, when it came to like, these are the ground rules, here's, here's the boundaries, and the girls would say, oh yeah, 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 and then, no, hold on. Now if you break this rule, if you cross these boundaries, mom and dad as a team 
will unleash the wrath, the punishment. No, we were like, there's consequences. And you know, there were times that they would get close to the line. And what do you think we did as we saw them being callous towards our warnings? We warned them. We cautioned them. You better not do that. You better stay away from that. We were warning them because the wrath, was about, the wrath of dad and mom was about to come. Come down hard. That's loving. It's loving. We didn't just indiscriminately or even prematurely punish them, not warn them. We just raised them and, and all of a sudden we're punishing them. They're like, what did I do? And they're like, don't ask me any questions. That's unloving. It's unloving to punish someone without saying, hey, this is right, this is wrong, and here's the consequences. But it's absolutely loving to look at fallen human nature and say, you are going to want to like follow your flesh, but if you do, here's the consequences. Why did God not want Adam and Eve to, to eat of the tree in the midst of the garden? He enjoyed fellowship with them. He enjoyed the life that he had given them. That's what God wants. That's what he wants. But in order for love to be love, there has to be free will. There has to be choice. And so God is the God of love. His, his nature will never change. And remember, lastly, that God is absolutely in control. As we will go through all of these, we'll get into the bull judgments, the trumpet judgments. And we're going we're gonna to read in detail. And we're going to go like, wow, it just looks like the world is spiraling out of control. No, it's showing you that what he said will happen is going to happen. <laughs> that he is in absolute control. As we went through this, where did the conversation begin? In heaven. This is all initiated in heaven. Anything that happens out on earth was initiated in heaven. And so as we go through the book of Revelation, I felt it's important not to just be like, walk out of here with heavy hearts and like deep pit in our stomach. I don't even want to go to brunch now, Lance. <laughs> I wanted us to really go, you know, hey, we're on the right team, number one, amen? amen? Come, Lord Jesus, come, Maranatha. And, and we could all stand, because I see my zero back there. But I, wanna, I, want, I wanted to leave us with that thought. How many of your children, when they were younger and you punished them, were like, you don't love me? You ever hear that from a kid? I heard it from one of my kids more than the other, but you know, that just, I heard it a lot. But later on, when they began to understand what love is, when they matured, when they got more mature, they realized, they realized that that was so loving to lay down 
the boundaries and to inform them of what is right and what is wrong and to punish them when they were wrong. They see, looking back on that, love in that. And I pray that, that we now will leave here today just looking at this, and we won't just think about all the like radical things that are going to happen upon the earth. It's going to happen. But in the midst of examining all of that, we do see the patience of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, and that God is absolutely in control. Amen? He's got this, which means he's got you. If you've given your life to him, he's got you. If you haven't, well, let's pray. Lord, here or online, anyone who doesn't know you, I pray right now they'd open up their heart to you. And that's you. Cry out to Jesus right now and acknowledge before him you're a sinner in need of salvation. Just tell him that right now. Tell him you believe that he is God, that he died on the cross and rose from the grave for you. <laughs> Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to save you right now. Ask him to come into your life and be your personal Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you for the work you're doing here. Uh, continue to embolden us to share what we learn here with others and live it out, we pray. In the mighty, matchless, powerful name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen.